Best, best boy, Justin. Yeah, what's up, best boy, Dan? You know, I'm just going to ask it. Why are you wearing a bunny girl costume? Oh, this? You like it? We're doing a bunny girl senpai episode this week. But did you have to... Where did you even... Roll what? the intro! Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm wearing a bunny girl suit. Also known as Best Boy Justin. Uh, t- welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is Anime is Art, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. And we're going to do a deep dive into why you all should watch that show. Yeah. But first we got a little bit of banter. We got our usual news. So let's get into it. Best Boy Justin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, like for those of you who are watching on our Patreon, as you know, I am wearing a bunny girl outfit right now. So, um, no, but, uh, you know, one thing I've, I've been thinking about a lot this week, um, this is, is why we have zero subscribers on Patreon. Yeah. Well, listen, we got to move over to only dance. Um, <laughs> one of the things I've been thinking about this week is how anime marketing works. And the thing that made me think about that was I've been watching, um, uh, Dragon Warrior dies adventure um and in doing so have been basically like uh oh that's why you're playing the game yeah again. yeah I've basically been inspired to start playing Dragon Warrior <laughs> a game I haven't played in like decades that's called synergy right there yeah so like <laughs> watching the watching the anime made me want made me think well I wonder how I wonder what the most recent Dragon Dragon Quest games like so I went and I checked it out, and they had a free demo, of course, because that's yep. how they get you. Yep. Um, and it's like a 10-hour-long free demo, too. Oh, wow, it's, that's pretty good. Well, because the Dragon Quest games are, like, famously long. So, like, I think there's, like, hundreds of hours of gameplay. I could be wrong, but I think they have some on the Xbox Game Pass, too. They might, yeah. You should check that out. Um, but the one I got was Dragon Quest Eleven, um, and it's good, and I did end up buying it because anime marketing works. There you go. Uh, so you got the whole game then? Yes, I bought the full game. Oh, very nice. Well, I, I've always meant to play like a Dragon Warriors or Dragon Quest game. It's Dragon Quest now. Well, this <laughs> is a good one to start with, man. It's it, it's divorced from the rest of the timeline, so like, okay, you can yeah. you can pick it up and start playing it. Well, and I'm a big fan. Ten hour long free demo. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Akira Toriyama's character designs oh, yeah. too. So they're adorable. I think that'd be fun. Uh, personally, me and Best Person Cat have been watching Violent Evergarden, um, which is actually Violet Evergarden, but just for lols, I call it Violent Evergarden. We're about halfway through the show. It's, it's great. I, you know, I don't know what's going on with me, but for whatever reason, Netflix has got its, like, claws in me, and I'm mm-hmm. just kind of tearing through every, everything they have to offer. Oh, is it, so. it's on Netflix? Yep. Word. Yep, it's another one of those Netflix originals. And Netflix is really, like, as a, like distribution house has been picking some really good shows and we're actually going to get into some of that in the news too because they're actually doing some exciting things i actually need to finish yasuke speaking of netflix shows me too i did and house husband and house husband i did actually like yasuke i think the reason i put it down was because 
I was really, I, I remember it was when I heard about the whole Studio Mappa thing, and we'll talk about that later too, right. but I got kind of bummed out about that, and I was like, yeah, I don't feel like watching this right now, but I am going to finish it, because it was, it did look, it was good so far. It's so short too, as well. Yeah. Same thing with um, House Husband, which has this more coming, I need to catch up before then. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to bring up is not really anime related, but, um, whenever I, it's very rare that I branch out into like graphic novels, like American graphic novels proper. Um, but years and years ago, I read this entire series called why the last man Mm -hmm. and they just adapted it. It's like FX on Hulu is doing it. So it's like FX produced it, but it's airing on Hulu or something like that. But that graphic novel series is so good would recommend it to anyone and so far the first three episodes of the show have been really good too Excellent. Um, it's it's live it action no no it's live, it's live action, action so it's real people which i'm sorry Disgusting. about i know it's horrible on an anime podcast why would i even talk about real people Man, what are you even doing <laughs> hacking a fraud um but but you know when i do branch out from from anime you know i'll let you know this i think is a really good one excellent good to hear um, so I guess, you know, with all that, with all that said, uh, it's time to check in with Studio WEB for some anime news. All right. So first up on anime news, we've got the, the vampire cosmonaut anime Suki Tolaika Tonosferatu has announced that it will be premiering on October 3rd. Um, the original novel story is set in a fictional world 10 years after a long war divided the world into two superpowers, the Union of Zernitra, uh, what? (laughs) Zernitra Republics in the East and the United Kingdom of Arnak in the West. (laughs) Yeah, good old Zernitra, you know. Um... Both of these superpowers now test their ambitions against each other in a space race. In 1960, the Union's premier, Gergiev, uh, announces Product Mechtat. Uh, a prestigious plan to launch manned missions into the final frontier. To this end, the Union establishes the isolated city of Laika 44, where cosmonaut candidates compete for planned manned missions to space, and scientists develop the technology to make it happen, all in an environment of secrecy. The story centers around Lev Leps, a backup astronaut candidate, and his new companion, the vampire Irina Rumanescu. Uh, as part of the daring operation Nosferatu, Project Mechtat will use Arena as a test subject for various conditions expected in space, and ultimately as part of a manned mission with Lev overseeing her training as a cosmonaut. Uh, for reasons of their own, both dream of going into space. So it's basically like that story about the like monkey the Russians put into space, but with a vampire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it wasn't a monkey, like it was a dog. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Like it was a dog. The, oh, monkey, that's the monkey's name was Albert. Oh, yeah. Poor, poor space dog. Poor space dog. We love you, Leica. Up next in anime news, we have uh, Netflix is beginning <laughs> began to stream the English subtitled trailer for the television anime of Tomihito, Tomohito Oda's Komi Can't Communicate. The trailer reveals that Netflix will debut the anime outside of Japan on October 21st two weeks after its Japanese premiere, with weekly new episodes. Netflix will stream the anime in over 190 countries and territories in eight languages dubbed and 31 languages subtitled. This is 
huge news. So yeah. I didn't even realize that Netflix was going to be the global distributor for I don't, Comey. I don't think it had been announced yet. Yeah. So uh, what's even better is that it's not going to be locked up in Netflix jail for like six months like yeah. their shows usually more, are. It, that, that's more like Netflix prison. This is more like Netflix pretrial confinement because yeah. it's only like two weeks. <laughs> it's like two weeks. But what's also cool is that they're doing what Funimation used to where they're going to be like just trailing with two weeks with the dubs too. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. And as I was like pulling up news stories, what I realized is this is not the only show. They're also going to be doing this with JoJo Stone Ocean, uh, which is going to air in December in Japan and then stream globally in January. Uh, and they're doing it with another show called The Blue Period, which airs September 25th and is going to stream starting October 9th. And The Blue Period actually looks pretty cool because it's like... Um, this boy joins like an art club, but the art club, it seems more like a sports style anime. Like it's mm. like the competitive world of art. Okay. I'm into that. So yeah. Yeah. So like, I think like, uh, walk the runway, uh, or smile down the runway. Yeah. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Um, yeah. but, but with like fine art. So I honestly, like this is the most exciting thing to come out of like Netflix anime the fact that we aren't gonna have to wait six months and we're gonna be able to get like a legitimate stream of Komi within two weeks of it airing in Japan yeah and I think one of the like one of the things that really sticks out to me is that is how widely it is being dubbed and subtitled mm. and what that what I hope that means is that they're actually taking this show really seriously and thinking of it as a long-term well, it also show. shows a pivot in Netflix's strategy because they've tried doing the weekly shows before and they've pretty much given up on yeah. all of them. Like they had the Hassan Minaj talk show. They had um, the kind of soup spinoff with Joel McHale that they were yeah. airing weekly. And, and those kind of models just all fell apart for them. But they have realized the kind of demand for anime and the kind of... Uh, anger from the community of having to wait so long to, yeah. to get a hold of it so I, this is this is a good move by Netflix yeah and we're going to talk a little bit more about Netflix uh, in a little bit but um, the uh, one of the big one of the things that's important about that is that like anime is in the top 10 of genre of genres they consider it a genre we'll talk about you know we can argue about that all day <laughs> but in their estimation anime is a genre and, and their list of the top 10 most watched genres on Netflix is anime hmm so, you know, hopefully, and, you know, they, they are making a big push into anime, and we'll talk about that, um, I guess, right now, or unless you're not done with this story. No, that's it. Go for it. Cool. So then we'll, we'll go right into... Uh, Variety reported that uh, Netflix has launched an anime creator's base at its company's new Tokyo office. Um, the base has facilities for designers, artists, writers, and even a lab space for experimenting with VR and motion capture. Um, and this comes amidst uh, Netflix's push to produce more anime content. And uh, they're actually slated to release 40 anime titles this year, roughly doubling its output from 2020. Damn. Yeah, so lots of anime. Um, but my feelings on this one are kind of a mixed bag. Uh, and I've always, you know, I've always said that more anime is a good thing, and I stand by that as an ironclad and mathematically proven position. Um, but some of the projects that Netflix has been involved in have suffered from poor working conditions from their creative staff. And I really kind of hope that sort of thing isn't going to continue to be a norm. Uh, because working conditions for people in the anime and manga industries are all, were already like famously bad. 
So it's like, I hope that rather than coming in and making things worse, they could at the very least, I know this is asking a lot, just come in and keep things the way they are. Yeah. Put, <laughs> Maybe put some of that Netflix money. Like, listen, you're getting like $18 a month for yeah, Netflix. Like, like, put that towards some good working. Make conditions. it a little better. Like, that would be super, super great, Netflix. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about the next story it's probably the most ridiculous news story that i've found uh recently um for those not in the know the otaku coin cryptocurrency venture announced an anime loot project and first off i didn't even know that there was an otaku coin that existed but but this project that was launched on monday was to create an isekai anime with nfts or non-fungible tokens the project is inspired by the Loot Social Network, where participants obtain unique lists of randomly generated item names, referred to as Loot, through purchasing NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. Although the items, uh, item names possess no inherent attributes, nor do the items interact with any broader game rules, the concept went viral last week as participants began creating their own artwork and story concepts around the list. The Anime Loot Project is an experimental bottom-up anime project that encourages similar community participation. Those who sign up can receive free tokens called the Default Setting Replica NFT, which will generate their character basic characteristics under the following four categories. Species, Sex, Heritage, Personality. The direction of the anime will gradually take place as the project moves on. The Otaku Coin... Uh, cryptocurrency launched in 2018 and is an ERC20 token, which runs on the Ethereum platform. According to the concept paper, the goals of the Otaku coin are to allow fans to vote on or fund projects, eliminate foreign currency conversion fees, and implement a rewards program for Otaku activities such as watching anime or purchasing official products. So basically... There's this otaku coin, which is really just kind of a way for people to, like, get together in the, like, anime fandom mm. and, like, have a central place to pool money for, like, ideas and concepts and all this sort of stuff. And I love that they're taking this, like, do you remember years ago when they had Crypto Kitties? That's what it was. Where, yeah, so, like... I'm making a face, for those of you who can't <laughs> so, see. So, Crypto Kitties was basically, like, it, you would... On the blockchain, you would it would kind of like take these random strings of numbers that were your money or whatever you purchased, like your bitcoins or whatever, and it would turn them into like cats, and they all had like individual like uh, imagery based on what those numbers were. So like mm -hmm. different digits would determine eye color, fur color, how many whiskers, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I love this idea of like taking that you know turning it into like isekai loot and then like developing a story based off of that it kind of also reminds me of like that plus like the kind of lore and stories that came around from like twitch plays pokemon mm -hmm. um so I, I this could be something really fun and really interesting and is like a weird blend of like anime nerd dumb and like the whole crypto world so yeah I mean, I so I have thoughts on cryptocurrency and NFTs. Most of them are negative, uh, but I will say this as a as a, a piece of entertainment. Um, I think this is interesting. 
as an investment, maybe talk to a licensed financial advisor. Oh my god, but... I put all my <laughs> all of my savings into this best boy Justin. What I have think, I done? I think in, engaging in this with the mind that it is a product is 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 okay for me. Yes, I think I think <laughs> there are broader implications about what it means and you know things like that. But as a as an end product, as a as a just like a fun thing, yeah, sure, this is great. I like it. Yeah, uh, and I think this is a great time for editor Best Boy Dan to drop in the warning that we are not in any way making any financial suggestions. Yeah, we'll see you in uh, we'll see you in about two hours when he's done with all the legal stuff. Editor Best Boy Dan here. Obviously don't follow financial advice from these two idiots. And now, back to the show. Alright, so with that, uh, with all the uh, the legalese out of the way, um, you know, I, I was actually, I was kind of worried this week. When we were, when we were putting together, um, you know, when we were putting together the, the doc for this episode, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow... The best buds are going to be really disappointed <laughs> because sure. we don't have any Gundam news. And I was really, really bummed out about it. But literally two days before recording, finally, we got a raft of Gundam news. So it is time, best buds, get in the cockpit for some Gundam news. So first up, this one, uh, we've got another statue. Um, I know you guys wanted it. We were waiting for it. But uh, Sunrise and the Bandai Namco group announced that they will unveil a new life-size Gundam statue in Fukuoka's Mitsui Shopping Park Lala Port in uh, spring 2022. Uh, the statue will depict a new mobile suit uh, named the RX-93 FFV Gundam, which is heavily based on uh, Amuro Rei's RX-93 New Gundam that appeared in Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack. Um the design will feature a familiar Gundam protagonist tricolor scheme and a new long-range fin, uh, long fin funnel mount, uh, which means nothing to you probably, but if you're a huge <laughs> sure. Gundam nerd like I am, then it means a lot. I got your long-range fin funnel mount right here, pal. Yeah, so uh, Bandai Namco's chief Gundam officer, Koji Fujiwara, which again, I want that to be my job, um... Uh, stated in the announcement that the statue will feature gimmicks that are a staple for the new Gundam, so you can expect like the funnels to move, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. The uh, uh, it's it kind of like uh, they're the big things that fly around and shoot lasers. That, okay. Uh, yeah, those are the funnels. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be really good. It it it, it it's going to be cool. All new Gundam statues are a good thing in every city. Um, and that's it for Gundam news, right? No, it's not it. <laughs> uh, next up on Gundam news, we have uh, the announcement that uh, at the Dai Nikai Gundam conference event on Wednesday, that is producing a new anime film titled Mobile Suit Gundam Kukuru's Kukuru. I can't read Kukuru's Dones Island. That's a word. Um, the film will open in 2022, though. Uh, manga creator and animator Yoshikazu Yasuhiko will direct the film. Yasuhiko had revealed in June that he was working on an unannounced anime film, so this is the answer to that. Um, there had also been a lot of rumors going around that there was another uh, film in the works, but nothing solid until what we got right now. Um, the announcement describes the film as a retelling of the 15th episode of the original Mobile Suit Gundam uh, television anime. The episode itself has been omitted from uh, English releases of the series. 
Uh, the 15th episode of Mobile Suit Gundam actually follows the uh, the story of a Xeon pilot who aban- who basically like refuses an order and abandons his post. Um, so like I don't know the full story behind that. I know a lot of, more of it is expanded on in the manga, um, but I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, next up, we have in, oh, there's more Gundam news. There's more Gundam news, best boy Dan. <laughs> we got all of the Gundam news. This is one that I had actually been keeping my eyes open for um, because as we uh, well, let me get right into it. Sunrise announced that it's producing a new television special compilation of the Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans television anime series. Uh, the new compilation will have nine parts, slated for a spring 2022 premiere, the same period as the Kido Senshi Gundam Tekutsu no Orphans G smartphone app and the Kido Senshi Gundam Tekutsu no Orphans Uror Hunt spin-off project. Um, the new compilation uh, will feature a preview of part of the upcoming spin-off, but the announcement did not release more details. Um, so this is pretty interesting because we had been hearing about the possibilities of a new Iron-Blooded Orphans uh, show for a while now. Um, I was hoping that the Gundam news that we were we were gonna get for IBO was gonna be that, and it's not yet. It's gonna it's this compilation special, but um, at least that does confirm that there is another um, IBO spinoff in the works. So I think that's gonna be really cool. I'm hoping it's gonna be a prequel, so we get to see the Calamity Wars. Yeah, That'll be pretty that'd cool. Be rad. Um, but yeah, so that's more Gundam, uh, Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, so that's a good thing. And uh, that does it today for anime news, except there it doesn't. We have oh another piece of Gundam <laughs> So news. much Gundam. Uh, Sunrise revealed at the Dainikai Gundam Conference event again that it is producing the first new Gundam television anime series in seven years titled Mobile Suit Gundam The Witch from Mercury. That's a much easier name to say. <laughs> <laughs> the new anime will premiere also in 2022. Um, Sunrise opened a website in multiple languages for the anime and also revealed a logo, but we will reveal other details at a later date. Uh, Koji Fujiwara, the guy with the best job, stated at the conference that about the many announcements made, we are aiming to create a work that even uh, young generations will support. He added that we are making bigger developments than ever before. And aren't they absolutely doing so? Uh, the series will be the first television anime series in the franchise since Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, the first season of which premiered in 2015 and the second one in 2016. Wow. Um, so yeah, this is, this is big. We are getting a new Gundam movie. We're getting a new Gundam show. We're getting a new Gundam statue. Like, yeah, all of the Gundam news that happened this yeah. week. Yeah, that is true. And that's actually it for Gundam news. <laughs> Which is good because I want to talk about Demon Slayer. You know, the multiple Academy Award winning series. Never heard of it. <laughs> was um, Meryl Streep in it? Yes, she was. She was the Demon Slayer. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, Demon Slayer's official website has announced that the show's second season will premiere this fall for a whopping half-year continuous run. Which yeah, baby. huge. It's going to be airing on Sunday nights. The second season will cover the Entertainment District arc, which take place, uh, takes place immediately following the events of Demon Slayer Mugen Train. You know, that movie that was the largest grossing film of the 2020 box office. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. Uh, well, there was some concerns that the some of the content may be cut as the arc is set in the red light district. Yuriko Nakamura, the manager of Fuji TV's programming department, confirmed that the station plans to air the show without changes, which is great. I'm, yeah. I'm down to... To see some more Demon Slayer, and it's coming soon. It's coming soon, and there's a lot of it. Like, six-month run, a full two seasons? That's wild, man. Well, like, uh, 
24 episode, 26 episode, probably, right? No, this is two full seasons, Dan. This is a six-month yeah. continuous run. Yeah, but six months is 26 weeks. Is it? Yeah, I think it's I like think two like 13 episode seasons. No, no, I think it's it might be two. Well, if it's every Sunday, then yeah, I guess it would be 20 uh, like there 24 episodes. <laughs> Maths. Well, math is hard, but no, this is good because like um, it, it's it, it's it's a lot, and I think that's something that you you want to see, especially with a show that you like, because it shows that the you know the studio is definitely investing a lot of time and energy into the show. Well, and it seems like. I, I don't know if the whole thing is going to be that arc, but if it is, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm I'm pretty sure dumb. they said that the this season is going to be is going to be the entire arc. That's great. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah, and uncut too. So lots of Demon Slayer to look forward to. Yeah, it takes it's going to be taking place immediately after the events of Mugen Train. So if you haven't seen that yet, you might want to get on it. Um, but with all that being said, uh, I think that's about it. So let us know what you're excited for. Which are you? Are you going to be paying attention to the new Gundam shows? Are you excited for them? Are you going to see the new statue? Are you going to watch the the new Demon Slayer season? Let us know. Uh, hit us up on uh, the Best Boys Pod at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Best Boys underscore Pod. And with that being said, I think it's time to dive on into the meat and potatoes. Are you going to say meat and potatoes? Or no, not? your turn. <laughs> no, I don't want to say meat and potatoes. Well, too bad. I think you just said it like five times. Damn it. Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. All right, best buds. The subject of today's installment of anime is art is, of course, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, which is why I'm wearing a bunny girl outfit. Again, only those of you on Patreon can see it. Oh, my eyes are bleeding. Yes. Uh, <laughs> best boy Dan's eyes are bleeding like it's a metal show. Uh, but this uh, this one, Bunny Girl Senpai, is known in Japan as Seishun Butayaro. Uh, for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the show, it's a psychological drama with some strong supernatural elements and a very cute romance plot. Uh, this anime and its sequel movie began as a light novel series written by Hajime Kamoshida, beginning in 2014 and published by ASCII Media Works. There are currently 11 volumes released, and the series has yet to conclude, so there is some hope that we might be getting some more Bunny Girl Senpai in the future. Uh, the series anime adaptation premiered in 2018 from Cloverworks, who did uh, Darling in the Franks, Fairy Tale, The Promised Neverland, Haremia, Wonder Egg Priority, uh, will be directed by Soichi Masui. Uh, Masui previously worked on uh, Heaven's Design Team, Sakura Quest, uh, Chai, uh, this one I'm not familiar with, Chaika the Coffin Princess, uh, Razifon, uh, Noragami, Psychopaths, Trigun, Badlands Rumble, Evangelion 2.0, Full Metal Alchemist, Samurai Champloo, uh, and Ergo Proxy. So a lot of really big names under, uh, under his belt. Um, Masahiro Yokotani was the writer for the show and is going to be in, uh, has been involved in quite a few notable projects in the past, such as ReZero, Sakura Quest, Shimoneta, a boring world where the concept of dirty jokes doesn't exist, uh, Free, The Devil is a Part-Timer, Excel World, and Stein's Gate. Uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai had a 13-episode run, which covered up to the fifth light novel volume. Uh, the, the movie Rascal Does Not Dream of a Dreaming Girl was released the following year in 2019, and it follows the plot of the 6th and 7th volumes of the light novel. 
the series is available to stream just about everywhere, Netflix, Hulu, Crunchyroll, and Funimation. However, the movie is a little bit tougher to find. You may have to pay a visit to Best Boy Dan's Back Alley Anime Monger uh, if you want to get your hands on it. So, like Justin said, the story of Bunny Girl Senpai uh, takes place over six distinct arcs, which we are going to outline briefly over the next few minutes. We're going to try and keep spoilers to an absolute minimum, though. Yeah. And now, the Bunny Girl synopsis. <laughs> Our story begins with our protagonist, Sakuta Asusagawa, uh, waking up from a strange dream and discovering a journal in his room. Uh, inside the journal, he finds an entry detailing an encounter with a senpai from his school wearing a bunny girl costume in the public library. Strangely enough, he remembers nothing about this striking episode, and the senpai's name has been erased from the uh, journal for some reason. Our bunny girl senpai is none other than Mai Sakurajima, a teenage celebrity. Unfortunately, she has recently come down with a bad case of being invisible. <laughs> this <laughs> it's a, it sounds like a huge problem, right? <laughs> I love that wording. Um, the uh, phenomenon at first seems centralized around their school, but the areas in which she cannot be seen has begun to grow rapidly. In order to find anyone who will be able to notice her, she decides to wear a bunny girl outfit to the public library, leading to her fateful encounter with Sakata, who can see her clear as day. While he seems surprised to hear about Mai's plight, Sakuta's probably not as surprised as he should be. That's because his sister has had her own run-in with a similar phenomenon, an urban legend known as Adolescent Syndrome. And before you go on, what I, I do want to point out, too, that Adolescent Syndrome is also referred to as Puberty Syndrome at times. Yeah, the word it, is the same in Japanese. Yeah, so it, it like the translations will kind of bounce back and forth between the two of them. Uh, an urban legend known as adolescent syndrome, which causes people to manifest strange abilities and afflictions outside of their control. Uh, the pair decide to visit Sakuta's brilliant, science-minded friend, Ryo Futaba. Uh, Ryo attempts to use theories of quantum mechanics in order to explain Mai's adolescent syndrome. And while they have a few leads, they don't end up uh, discovering the root cause behind her using science alone. The only explanation seems to be the atmosphere. Mai has recently renounced her career as an actress. She has decided to fade from the spotlight and maintain a normal adolescence. Having missed the first part of the school year due to her work, Mai never made any friends and drifted through class alone. The students all accepted this atmosphere, slowly leading to everyone forgetting her completely to the point where they didn't even recognize her as standing in front of them. This is our introduction to the Japanese concept of Kuki no wo yomo? Yomu? Best boy, Justin. Sure. <laughs> How would you pronounce it? That's about right. Kuki, kuki wo yomo. Okay. Uh, or reading the room. Uh, in Japan, when you tell someone to read the room, it's basically an insult. People who are unable to maintain the st status quo by upsetting the established atmosphere are often chided, resented, and even ostracized. As people continue to forget Mai, the atmosphere spreads further and further from the school, resulting in heart-wrenching situations such as Mai's overbearing mother-slash-manager forgetting about her completely. Mai and Sakuda travel further and further outside of the city, only to find that atmosphere is completely spread wherever they go. With Futaba's help, Sakuta discovers that as soon as someone relaxes and lets their unconsciousness take over, the atmosphere will permeate them as well. Armed with this knowledge, Sakuta vows never to forget Mai, even if he falls asleep. Without going into spoilers, because what happens next is like some of my favorite like anime moments, um, Sakuta must find a way to break uh, the atmosphere or risk losing Mai forever. 
This is a truly heartwarming show, and it establishes uh, one of my favorite romances in anime, as well as this arc sets up the idea of the Kukiwo Yamu uh, that the show establishes so well. We then dive into the next arc. Each arc is kind of focused around a different set of adolescent syndromes and characters in, in, in Sakuta's uh, life. Uh, the next arc is somewhat of an opposite of the first arc, centering around, is that Tomo? Tomoe. Tomoe? The girl obsessed with, a uh, girl obsessed with social media and fitting in. So much so that she is even reluctant to go home when she is sick for fear of being, uh, behind socially after only a single day. She gets anxious if she's unable to reply to a text immediately. What is most bizarre is that she likes being this person. She has worked hard to cultivate this identity. At the same time, it paralyzes her, afraid to do anything that might not flow with her social group. Um, with this fear results in her constructing a fake romance with Sakuta in order to avoid the awkwardness of having to turn down a, pop, uh, a proposition from a popular basketball boy for fear that she may be disavowed from her social circle. In a very Haruhi turn of events, the timeline starts looping until the situation works out in her favor. Basically, she's playing the possible futures out uh, until the one that's most socially convenient for her plays out. Being a good guy and never willing to give up on someone, Sakuta is taken along for the ride. I think the first arc illustrates how society can turn a blind eye to someone that makes them uncomfortable. Uh, you see evidence of this in videos where people are attacked and bystanders just walk by pretending like nothing is happening. The second act is what happens when rather than avoiding society's glance, someone conforms to the concept of how they should be uh, that and the stresses of not changing the atmosphere. So in arc three, after barely having any time to recover from the events of arc two, um, it seems that there ends up being a clone of his friend Rio running around town. Uh, with two Rios at their disposal, the gang manages to find out what's really causing her, her duality fairly quickly, um, but figuring out which is the real Rio and how to unify their personalities proves to be quite a bit more difficult. In order to overcome her adolescent syndrome, Rio will be forced to grapple with the truth behind her own insecurities. This arc in explores the insecurities everyone deals with when their bodies go through changes associated with puberty. Oftentimes there can be a cognitive and physical distance within oneself. With the any of issue of self-image, the only resolution can be brought through self-acceptance. The fourth arc is probably my least favorite. Uh, it's basically about dealing with living up to expectations. My sister, Nodoka, uh, has spent her life attempting to live up to the expectations set by her older sibling, always striving for praise from her mother. In a very bunny girl twist, Maya and Nodoka uh, switch bodies, of course, as the saying goes, don't judge someone until you have walked a mile in their shoes. Then judge them because you'll have their shoes and you'll have a mile head start. Yeah, so this arc kicks the trope of a body swap episode uh, or chapter that happens quite often in anime, uh, romance anime and manga, and applies it to an entire arc, which I find kind of interesting because usually in anime or manga, um, in this type of trope presents itself as either a one-off like chapter or a one-off like episode. Um, but in this play, in this case, it takes uh, place over like I think like two or three full episodes, which makes up the uh, fourth arc. Um, 
The fifth arc is the final one in the first season, and it centers around resolving Kaede's pa uh, past trauma and her own case of adolescent syndrome. This is definitely the most hard-hitting of any of the arcs so far, uh, as we get some insight into the gut-wrenchingly sad events that led to Sakata living alone with his sister away from their parents. As it turns out, Kaede is suffering from dissociative amnesia uh, due to traumatic events that took place at her school. Kaede finally seems ready to come to grips with this trauma, but the cost will be high. I don't want to give away too much, uh, so just be ready to cry. Um, the sixth arc is contained wholly within the movie Rascal Does Not Dream of a Dreaming Girl. Um, and if you thought that you might get a break from the sad, well, boy howdy do I have bad news for you, best buds. Uh, this arc focuses on Shoko Makinohara, Sakuta's first love. Uh, you see, it turns out that there are a couple versions of Shoko running around, all at different ages. Uh, the Shoko that Sakuta fell in love with uh, years ago is a little bit older than him, but the Shoko he knows now is a middle schooler who's keeping a stray cat at his house because she's afraid to ask her parents if she can bring it home. It isn't until Sakuta comes uh, across Shoko in the hospital that he realizes that this case of adolescent syndrome is quite serious indeed. The road to unraveling it is difficult and lined with sadness, confusion, and danger. But along the way, Sakuta will learn an important lesson about what's important to him. Um... And that's all we're going to say. We don't want to get too much into the spoilers of it because we want you to watch this show for yourself. Yeah, but we are going to tell you why we love the show and uh, all the things that we love about it. So hopefully you will we'll also get interested and what, want just, to watch just, it as well. Just telling them that we like it isn't enough? <laughs> no, we're going to explain why. How so... much more do you people need? <laughs> so we'll start with the music first Hell off. Yeah. So the OP uh, we'll start with uh, is Kimi no Se by the Peggies, and it I, is... You want to say Well, I just wanted to say I really like the name the Peggies. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were going to make fun of my pronunciation. No, I just, I like the Peggies. Uh, yeah, that's a great band name. Um, but it is, oh, it's such a good opening. It is um, good. I, I watched like a whole, and it's another Mother's Basement plug because we keep talking about them. He did a whole video on like why it's such a good opening. Come uh, on our podcast, you coward. <laughs> and one of the, um, one of the, best like kind of tidbits that he mentioned was that in the beginning it like kind of does these like tile shuffles between all the like uh letters that make up the um name of the show um but as they're shuffling through it actually goes through all the names of the different like light novels in the series so you get to see like rascal does not dream of petite devil kohai rascal does not dream of logical witch rascal does not dream of siscon idol rascal does not dream of a sister home alone so it, really cool like little tidbit of the ost but outside of that it's just a friggin bop that that song slaps i really enjoy it yep um best boy justin i know you have some strong feelings about fox capture plan yeah so the the actual the ost uh for bunny girl senpai was done by a band named uh fox capture plan um and i actually uh discovered this band before finding this anime because i heard a song from them uh called butterfly effect and i i thought to myself i was like wow, this song should really, this song sounds like an anime opening. Do I know this from an anime? And I looked, like, I looked it up and it wasn't. It's just a really good song that sounded like it should be in an anime. And then many, many, many months later, I found Bunny Girl Senpai and realized that it was the same band that does their OST. Um, but the band members are uh, Hidehiro Kawaii on double bass, Tsukasa Inoue on drums, Ryo Kishimoto on piano, 
Formed in 2011, aiming for a passionate, cool, and new piano trio sound with the concept of modern jazz rock. Uh, they've released eight full albums. They won the CD Shop Grand Prix Jazz Category Award twice, the Jazz Japan Award 2013 for Album of the Year New Star Category, uh, the Jazz Japan Award Album of the Year New Jazz Category uh, was won in 2015 and 2020. Uh, in music production, they made the music for Bunny Girl, as well as the TV anime Stand My Heroes, Piece of Truth, as well as several other live-action shows and movies. So, I have since listened to Fox Capture Plan and think that they're a really good band. Yeah. I will say, of elements of this show, I think the OST is actually one of the weaker points of it. I think it's just it's, fine. It's fine. I think, it honestly, it sounds like a dating sim game more than anything to me. Mm. Um... But, yeah, it's, you know, it's fine. It, I, you've heard a little bit of the OST already from uh, the synopsis. Um, but, yeah, I would say this isn't, like, the reason why I'm watching yeah. this show. It's serviceable. I do think that this band does better with the format of, like, an epic OP or ED yeah. than they do for, like, the, the underscore I, of I the show. I think they did a fine job. It's they just did like, great, but I think they would have done better if they yeah. were making an OP rather than an OST. You know? For sure. Um, and finally, the ED is Fukushigi no Karte. Uh, by Fonzie M. And again, like, I've been listening to this, like, over mm. and over recent, since, like, watching the show. It's just always stuck in my head. Yeah, it's the ED slaps. Um, the full-length version of that song is really good, too. So I would encourage everyone to go check that out. Yeah. So the next kind of element we want to talk about is the characters. Because this this show is really about the characters. As you progress through each of the arcs, you know pretty much everyone, like... Up front, there's a couple of characters who come in later, like my sister yeah. um, and, and Tomoe, I think and, uh, Tomoe and all that sort of stuff. But like the characters, as they each get their arcs, you kind of learn a little bit more about them. Their bonds with Sakuta uh, kind of grow, and and it's just a really great way of establishing each person and getting to know them. Yeah, um, and and. What's nice is they can kind of exist uh, in orbit of each other and like kind of build this whole collective story about this group together. Um, I really, I was shocked. This is probably the protagonist that I've most enjoyed in an anime yeah, in, he's in a long time. He's funny. Um, he's not a dick. He's not like you know, self-important or like, you know, like the <laughs> um, shonen protagonist, like, I'm the best! Yeah. Or like the like harem protagonist of like, just, you know, I, I think of like Rent-A-Girlfriend and how that guy is like, he's real, but he's an asshole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think one of, one of the things, that like, we're going to talk a little bit later about how I feel about this anime in relation to Monogatari, but what's fun with the character of Sakuta is that he is basically like, he is the wholesome version of the main character from Monogatari, who's Araragi. And, like, they're the same character, except Sakuta's real wholesome and Araragi's kind of, like, a perv. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, that's... I. We'll talk more about uh, about uh, about that one later. Yeah, and the voice actor was great. He's, uh, he was voiced by Kaito Ishikawa, uh, who was Tobia uh, Kagayama in Haikyuu, um, the setter guy, and Genos in One Punch Man. Uh, the next character is Mai Sakurajima, mm. uh, who is voiced by Asami Seto, who was Raftalia in The Rising of the Shield Hero. No one liked Raftalia, right? 
I loved Raftalia. Raftalia broke the internet. Yeah, she did. Uh, and was also Nobara Kugasaki in uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. That's the hammer and nail lady. Yep. Um, <laughs> I also have, like, just as a note, written Bunny Girl. And Justin wrote allegedly next to it because she really only wears the Bunny Girl in, like, two, two episodes. episodes. Yeah. Well, um, to be fair, she wears it for, like, almost the entirety of one episode and then for a couple minutes in another episode. Yeah. And that's it. Um, but here's what I will say about my strong contender for best girl. Yeah, like, she's real good. Like, up there, just charming, witty, um, just, like, uh, so good on so many levels. I don't think she is best girl, but she's definitely a strong contender she, for uh, it. She's definitely the best girl of this show. I don't think so. Oh, uh, yeah. who are you going to say is best we'll, girl? We'll talk, uh, when, we get, when we get to her, oh I'll my tell God. you. I, I think I know who your type is you weird emoto freak <laughs> no it's not even her oh no, really it's no, not kaede no it's not kaede interest futaba no okay all right, all right, all right, all right. um but i i think maya's best girl of this show and i think that she could go toe-to-toe with best girls of any other show really like mm-hmm. i the the one that comes to mind again is is rent a girlfriend um Whoever I forget her name in that one. I want to say Chise or Chica, but that's not right. It's not Chica. It's it's it, something like yeah. that. It might be Chitose. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, Mai's Maya's excellent and super mature for her age, and she can step on my feet any day. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Tomoe Koga, who is voiced by Nao Toyama. Uh, now Toyama voiced uh, Rin Shima in Laid Back Camp. Rin-chan! Rin-chan! And also Ruka in um, uh, Rent-A-Girlfriend. The blue-haired girl. Yeah, the blue-haired girl. <laughs> um, Tomoe is uh, interesting. She's kind of the lead-in to uh, one of, the, one of the, the earlier big arcs of the show. Um, I think she presents an interesting parallel to Mai as uh, a, another female character with a kind of very distinct divergent personality mm. um really kind of the opposite of my yeah in a lot of ways the opposite but they share a lot of important characteristics as well um but uh you know the just a really interesting character yeah uh, we also have Rio Futaba, who I, I would say is probably my second favorite character. Yeah, I really like Futaba. Um, she was voiced by Atsumi Tanazaki, uh, who is Vivi in Vivi Fluorite Eyes Song, which is also excellent and everyone should watch it. And Juno in Beastars, who uh, is going to give me like a, a furry obsession, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but <laughs> um, also watch Beastars. Um, but she makes science sexy. Oh, yeah? I think so. She's in um, high school, <laughs> by the way. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the the one thing that I find so hilarious about her character too is that she like explains all of these like super not natural like phenomenon and like she's trying to explain them, but she's like, let me just use quantum physics to ex- to like make this understandable for you, which yeah. is just like so silly. But like it's silly, but it's it's in a lot of ways it's fun. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Steins Gate, where you have mm. kind of like the more like not like not necessarily that it's it's it makes sense, but like more complicated scientific concepts. Well, I appreciate that. Like, you know, it, honestly, and I'll talk about this later on. You don't need any of the like supernatural elements for no. this to be a good show. Like, if you took all that out of there, it would be a great show. But I like and I appreciate that they even try to explain it, right? Like, yeah. there's, you know, everything that happens is, quote-unquote, like, grounded in the reality of this world in some way. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, next character we have is Noroka Toyohama, um, voiced by Maya Uchida. Um, this is uh, Maya's sister, uh, so she's like... Um, She's like a, a siscon, which is like a phrase that kind of means like you have like a sister complex. So she's basically like in love with her older sister, Mai. Um, and I think that a lot of the, I really enjoy a lot of the interactions between her and Sakuta, uh, I think are really funny and also sometimes really cute as well. Yeah. Um, one of the last characters we have to talk about is Kaide Azusagawa, um, who is the main character's little sister. Mm -hmm. She's kind of uh, uh, shut in. Um, she has lost her memory. She is she is the cute factor of this show. Uh, without a doubt. Um, she is so cute and has one of the most heart-wrenching arcs I've ever seen. Yeah, in anime. Her, her arc is tough. It is. Uh, it made me ugly cry. <laughs> so, fair warning on that. Um, I have recently learned that the internet ships her and Sakuta. Um, yeah, the internet was which, a mistake in general. Yeah, let's let's no shipping Kaide. It freaks. Um, then the last character we're going to talk about is the undisputed best girl of this show, Shoko Makinohara. Really, um, voiced by Inori Minase. Um, and uh, she's actually the the main focus of the movie, but she is present throughout. I think like the third, from the third arc on in the show. And here's, interesting, she's best girl. She's best girl, and here's why: because I'm not gonna, we're not gonna get into, we're not gonna get in too deep with the the kind of um, how the story wraps up or whatever. But to me, she is the ride or die girl from this anime. She's there for Sakuta from before even the events of this show. Yeah. Throughout the entire That is true. And you know what I do appreciate about her? She, in in one sense, she reminds me of Lukua yeah. um, from Dragon Maid. And just that she, like, when she talks, she drops, like, knowledge. Yeah. Every time she has, like, active speaking lines, it's like, hey, we're going to learn something now. Um, mm. I really like her character development-wise. Uh, I think she's a really interestingly written character, specifically because she exists in four kind of separate personalities in one character because you get to see her as an elementary schooler, you get to see her as a middle schooler, you get to see her as a bunch of other ages too. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting way to kind of provide character development for a character whose presence doesn't become majorly important until the very tail end of the story that we have so far. Um, so it was kind of a way to build a character up in the background who will then become monumentally important. And I really thought, I thought that was really interesting and well done. Yeah, and they do a lot of really nice like breadcrumbs throughout yeah. the beginning of like the series. It's one of those things where, like, everything doesn't fall into place until it does. You know, it happens all at once. Yeah, and I think that leads us really nicely into the, like, writing of the show. Because, like, everything about this show is, like, really well thought out, really planned, really well done. Yeah. Um, so, in my opinion, one of the things that makes this show so great is its dialogue. Um, it has a cadence and character that allows it to transition seamlessly between heartfelt romance, gut-wrenching drama, and witty humor. Um, it always kind of reminded me of Monogatari, like we talked about a little earlier, uh, in the way that the characters interact with each other. So if you liked that show, you'll probably like this one and vice versa. Um, just keep in mind that Monogatari is a little more etchy than this show. Um, so bear that in mind. And also Araragi, the main character from Monogatari, is kind of a, a weird dick. Yes. Despite, okay, so despite the show having like a bunny girl like on the like poster and like all that sort of stuff, it is 
really not etchy. Yeah, there are very few etchy moments in this show. Um, but yeah, the way the arcs are structured allows for episodic character development, uh, with the spotlight moving between supporting characters while Mai and Sakata have their own progression throughout. Uh, longtime best buds will know that character development is very important to me when it comes to the enjoyment of anime, and I felt that ben Bunny Girl Senpai had this in spades. Like, I, all of the characters were really well fleshed out, even the most, like, minuscule, like, side characters, like, even, like, the boy that she, that, um, you know, that Tomoe is trying to avoid in that, uh, second arc has his own, like, well fleshed out character, so I really appreciated that about this show. Um... And uh, those of you who are fans of romance will definitely find the romance plot of Bunny Girl oh, satisfying. It's one of my favorites. It's really, really good. While there are, while it has some elements of what we here at Studio WEEB are calling a soft harem, <laughs> um, I'll be coined that term. <laughs> um, the uh, the relationship between Mai and Sakuta is one hundred percent wholesome and super cute. Um, it's definitely one of our favorite love stories in anime, and uh, one thing that sets it apart is the way that Mai is originally depicted as a kind of stock standard tsundere who develops into somebody who is radically honest about her feelings. Um, and I think that's really cool. I think that's a really interesting way to kind of turn the, the trope of the tsundere on its head um, and actually allow for some really great character growth. Uh, I also love the dynamic of their communication that involves her stepping on his foot and him really, really enjoying it. Yeah, and then, like, Futaba is always, like, making fun of him for being a rascal. Yeah, one of... One or of... the... Oh, my God, the... The the movie we watched, they translated rascal differently to, like, dirty pig or something, and yeah, it totally or caught me off I think it might have been scumbag or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's better as rascal, I think. But, like, one, one of my favorite scenes from this show is when... Um, uh, Sakuta walks into the room and he's like smiling all goofy and she's like she's like why are you smiling did my step on your foot again and he was like yeah <laughs> no it's uh, you know just to add a little bit to, to what you were saying about the writing is especially the dialogue between the characters is just it's it, in a sense it feels real because like people make like little like one-off jokes and you know they'll be silly and they'll tease each other yeah. and and it's you know it's not something you see a lot in anime it's it's either you have the kind of like you know very cut and cardboard like kind of shonen anime or you'll have the kind of like ridiculous absurd like kind of dialogue that or you know kind of the like really you know verbose like ethereal dialogue but this yeah. this just feels like people talking which i always appreciate in a show yeah the di the magic of the dialogue is just how normal and natural it feels um and, and it I've, made me laugh it's more than a lot of comedies and it's do. hilarious because yeah. and like i think that that's something that's so important about this show is how funny it is because mm. like at its core this show is a drama yeah for but sure it's a drama that is funny it has its it, it has it has a little bit of everything you know it's a drama it's a sci-fi it's paranormal yeah uh, it's uh, a it's romance very it's, strong yeah, romance it's a comedy like it's it's kind of a little bit of everything yeah um it's not a battle anime so there's that i mean but, yeah pretty much i think that's like <laughs> the only on thing your feet really is missing. like a little there. yeah uh there's a fight 
There is a fight. There, there is are, one fight. There is one fight. It's not very epic. Um, <laughs> it's I think it, it's, it's no it's, it's no dragon for, made in no. terms of fight sequences. It's remarkable in how completely normal it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you know, talking about that, one of the things that the show really has going for it is just such a strong message. Um, at its core, this show is about being true to yourself, even if that means going against the grain. It takes many elements, experiences, emotions everyone went through uh, in puberty and can relate to. It explores them in a supernatural way. Honestly, you could strip the supernatural elements away from it and be left with a heartwarming drama about a boy helping his friends rebuff society's preconceptions. The story has a lot to say about Japan's strict adherence to the idea of reading the room. Commenting on the sh- how it shows uh, the undue stress it can place on people of all ages. In Japan, if you try and stand out, you can find yourself ostracized from other people around you. The messages surrounding the show have never been more topical. When I was in high school, I didn't have things like Facebook or groups texts. Uh, I can't even imagine the pressure there is for kids nowadays to conform when they're on display and on call 24-7. The message we can walk away with from this show is to be true to yourself despite what the atmosphere of the room is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess we now you know you're that how you're old. Yeah, so, right. Um, <laughs> I'm so old that I didn't have group text. I had T9 texting like dude, junior year of high school. Yeah, like for most of high school <laughs> I didn't even have a phone. Yeah. Um, um so we're old as hell. But yeah, but we knew that. Um but yeah, it's I, you know, again, this is not something you see in too many shows where no, they have a message and, and where they achieve it so well. And I think it's especially interesting, and I think this is kind of becoming a little bit more popular in, in Japanese media, especially as, like, young people are getting older, is that, like, just this idea of kind of rebuffing, like, these super strict, like, kind of um, cultural and social, like, pressures that people find in japan and and elements of this can absolutely be found world over yeah um but it's especially oppressive in japan where like you know it's rude to to do these things and that concept of like being rude is taken so seriously yeah i mean especially when you're when you're talking about a um you know a, a country where in a lot of places only just recently has the practice of like Forcing girls who had lighter colored hair to dye it black in high school was a thing. Mm. Like, it's still a thing in parts of Japan. It's not nearly as prevalent as it used to be. But, like, yeah, like, things like that with incredibly strict social norms. um, And then this this anime allows us to explore, you know, the breaking of those norms, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I would love to see more media like this. Totally. So, I guess kind of in conclusion, you know, some final thoughts about uh, Bunny Girl Senpai as we... Um, you know, we kind of wrap up our deep dive into it. Um, this show is essentially, a, it's a coming of age story that uses its supernatural elements to tell a story about some of the darker sides of growing up. Um, the show explores issues like insecurity, mental health, and uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms, bullying, and loss uh, that are often overlooked in stories about growing up. Um, the use of puberty syndrome as a lens to view this through is a very clever application of defamiliarization, um, which kind of allows the viewer to take these experiences that they may already be familiar with in their own lives and see them from another perspective. Um, I thought it was like a, it was kind of a, a solid couple of months between when I finished watching the first season of Bunny Girl Senpai and when I watched the movie. 
Uh, for this episode, actually, I watched the movie. Uh, and the very I remember, I had to go to the back alley to meet up with my buddy to make this happen. <laughs> oh, he's your buddy now. Okay. Well, you know, we've been doing a lot of business. I got to know him. He's got kids. Nice okay. guy. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, the very first thing I thought when I watched it was, has this show always been so goddamn gorgeous? And the answer is yes. Um, Bunny yeah, Girl we didn't we didn't talk about that. It's also just a beautifully drawn show. Yeah, Bunny Girl Senpai's art and animation is absolutely gorgeous in a kind of like subtle and understated way. So like the anime doesn't rely on flashy fight scenes or sweeping sakuga to stand out. Um, rather, it uses a perfect marriage of composition and smooth, lifelike animation in order to kind of shine as something truly beautiful. Uh, the way the camera lingers for that ever so important extra moment on a character's features. Uh, so that we can see how they're truly feeling, or the super close-up shot of Mai stepping on Sakuta's foot. Uh, these things kind of lend the show an air of ethereal beauty without sacrificing any of the charming realism that permeates the entire show. Um, visually, absolutely stunning. Um, character development is also super important for a good anime, and Bunny Girl Senpai really hits it home. Um, for me, one of the best examples of this is actually Sakuta's kind of development arc. He starts off uh, with the admirable trait of having to help everyone he sees hurting, even when it doesn't make sense or when it puts him in harm's way. Um, and we often kind of think of this as a positive quality in our characters, but what Bunny Girl uh, Senpai does over the course of his development is show how harmful and self-destructive this tendency can be. Um, and Sakuta, he kind of manages to grow from this, ultimately having to come to grips with the reality that if he tears himself to shreds trying to save everyone, he'll lose what's most important to him. Uh, I think that this is a really interesting way to engage with this uh, personality trait that's fairly common in a lot of shows, uh, and it's always presented in a positive light, so I really, I really enjoyed how this one kind of turned that on its head. Yeah. Uh, all in all, a wonderful show. We really hope you, hope you bust bet. <laughs> yeah, I can speak. We really hope you best buds check it out. Um, you know, when when we were talking about doing this episode, uh, you know, we've been talking about months for doing some, you know, some sort of like good anime review since I somehow finagled <laughs> Best Boy Justin into doing a review I, of Domestic Girlfriend first. I think the only reason I agreed to it was because we were going to do something like this. Um, so, and, and what's funny is that I, I had not seen the show. I just kind of went on Best Boy Justin's word on this and I, you know, I was hesitant. I was like, oh, I hope it's going to be good enough to consider it like, you know, an S-tier anime and, and it absolutely was and I, I hope everyone... Uh, takes our, our love for it and, and goes forth and, and checks it out. Yeah, and especially given how, you know, given how widely available it is, you know, except for the movie, uh, definitely there's enough for, enough reason for you to check it out. Netflix, Hulu, Funimation, Crunchyroll, it's on everything. So give it a shot and let us know how you feel about it. And the best news of this is that this now means that we can now do another uh, anime was a mistake episode yeah we'll see um <laughs> but yeah so let us know how you feel if you watch it please do reach out let us know we want to know whether you agree uh, with our estimation that this show is indeed anime as art hit us up uh, send us an email at the best at gmail.com or on twitter and instagram at best boys underscore pod best boy justin yeah yeah what's uh, up uh, i think we're fading away it must be puberty syndrome. Best Boy Dan, if you were half your age, you'd still be past puberty. I don't think that's what this is. Ouch. But yeah. <laughs>